This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Let's, uh, let's look at, at God's word. We are, we're continuing in our series in the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes is simply uh, uh, an English swing off of the Latin phrase that means blessings. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open that to the Gospel of Matthew in your New Testaments. Uh, these words are contained in chapter 5. And just, uh, I always do this kind of before we, we look at God's word every week. It's kind of reintroduce us to what's going on here. Uh, chapter 5 through 7 is, is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is giving this public discourse, much of like what I'm doing here today in an outdoor venue. Uh, Jesus has climbed up on some mountain in which we don't entirely know which mountain it was, but it was, it was a bit of a hill and he's got a gathering of people. And these are, these are the opening words uh, that Jesus chooses uh, for it to kind of launch into his public ministry. And, you know, I don't know how they fell on the original audience. Um, I've, got, I've got an inkling to how they might fall on this audience. And uh, here's, here's what I think they, they could feel like, and maybe they felt like uh, to those original hearers. It could feel really like crushing, like kind of condemning, Maybe a little heavy-handed, you know, you could come out of these opening words that Jesus is saying, you know, this is what the blessed, wholehearted life looks like. And you could come out looking at those thinking, gosh, I, I'm, not, I'm not very like that. And here's what I want to do just by way of reminder, if I haven't said it enough. Um, you know, what Jesus is not doing here is, you know, a crushing gut blow. Right? He's not interested in coming out of the gates swinging, like, hey, here's, here's where you don't measure up. Right? What, what I do think Jesus is doing is he's actually um, inviting us into a different path. He's saying, I'm bringing a kingdom to earth, um, and if, if you're going to be a part of that, this is, this is the invitation of what that life could look like. And so everything of Jesus' words flow out of what it means to be blessed, in other words, Jesus is not saying, hey, do all these things and you will be blessed. He's, he's saying the blessed life flows with these kinds of things. Uh, another way to put it would be, you know, the, the imperatives of the Christian life, the, the do this, you know, be this kind of person, always come from the indicatives. Like, this is who you are. This is what it means to be blessed by God. So this morning we're gonna we're gonna look um, at the seventh of what I think are eight beatitudes, and the, the the there's there's discussion on the last one whether it's two separate ones or one, and I'm gonna take it as one. So the uh, the the seventh beatitude um, is perhaps the most perplexing to me, and uh, it's you know I've said this sermon and sermon again. You know, you don't show up at the seventh beatitude, right? So if this is your first Sunday with us, I think you'll be able to pick up with what I'm after. But, but the seventh beatitude, the seventh and eighth, actually, I think they go together. You know, it's a movement of what God is doing in the kingdom, right? He's saying, you, you know, to get into the kingdom, you have to be poor in spirit. And if you're poor in spirit, you'll be a mourner. You will grieve things that have happened to you. You'll grieve life in a fallen world. 
and then you'll become more meek. You'll become a gentle, kind, humble person. And because of that, you'll hunger and you'll thirst for more right relationship. You'll, you'll want righteousness more. And then you'll be a, a merciful person. You'll show all kinds of undeserved favor and kindness to people that don't deserve it. And then your heart will become pure. You'll become more whole as a person. And then these last two things happen to you. You become a peacemaker, and then you're, you're persecuted you'll be disliked. So all of this is the movement of God in the kingdom of God. And um, the, the best thing I could tie this to, and I'll be quick about this because I've done a lot of introductory stuff so far. Uh, one, of my, one of my kids, all my kids are, you know, they're working through, you know, life in a world of all kinds of different personalities and creating friendships. And their teacher, one of their teachers this week, uh, last week had them all write descriptors of each other on like a little note card. And so my son came home with a little, you know, three by five note card with a bunch of adjectives that kids use to describe him. And there were like a bunch of cools, because my kid's cool, and a couple like talls and a couple nices. Um, but there was one particular descriptor on this note card that just struck a chord with my, with my, with my son. And it was, someone just described him as a friend, said friend. And I, you know, I think it just, it kind of soothed his aching heart because he was, you know, longing for some friendship in that moment. And so that note card, it's still on our dinner table, you know, splashed with like Chick-fil-A sauce and all the things right now. But he's been like, just really struck by someone calling him a friend. And the seventh beatitude friends is it's striking it is perplexing for God to to name us two things in this beatitude should it should rock you off your cradle a little bit like it should be a little jarring so this is the seventh beatitude uh, contained to us contained for us in verse 9 of chapter 5 in Matthew's gospel let me read that Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, well, I come to you now uh, personally feeling ill-equipped to speak on your behalf, Lord. What a, what a crazy idea this is that you had, that you would have messengers to to speak your word to your people. So I need your help now, Lord. I know there's a lot in these words that you gave us, and I want your people to hear them clearly from you. So I'm praying now that you would that you would keep this weather uh, cooperative for us so we won't be distracted, and, and that you would help all of our minds collectively uh, to hear what you have to say to us uh, from this beatitude. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've, I've said it before, I want to say it again, uh, I am not a frequent reader of the New York Times. Uh, uh, I'm just a, you know, an Albuquerque Journal kind of guy. But there was an article that popped up this week that I want to read just a section to you from. Uh, the title of the article was, The World's Techno-Billionaires Are Forging a New Kind of Capitalism. It's called Muskism. 
so this this uh, writer, and this is in New York Times, you know, the op-ed, and it's written by a woman named Jill Lepore, whom I know nothing about, so I share none of her opinions. Um, but she had this little section, uh, and let me just read this to you. She said, in recent weeks, the term metaverse has started popping up all over the place. While it actually comes from a 1992 science fiction novel, the idea is much older. One super cool example is the holodeck that appeared in the Star Trek franchise. Jeff Bezos, the billionaire who founded Amazon, was obsessed with the TV show as a kid, and last month he set he sent William Shatner, the actor who played Captain Kirk in the original series, into space. She says this, billionaires, having read stories of world-building as boys, are now rich enough as men to build worlds. She adds, the metaverse is at once an illustration of and a distraction from a broader and more troubling turn in the history of capitalism. She goes on to talk about Muskism and Elon Musk and his grandiose ideas. And she says this in closing, this will be my last little comment. They, they talk about, these are the billionaire boys, they talk about transforming the future of work, connecting all of humanity, making the world a better place, saving the entire planet. Muskism is a capitalism in which companies worry. What, what I think she's after there um, is, is she's describing, you know, this, this moment in history where there's a handful of individuals who have, you know, a lot of money and are able to do grandiose things and visions and ideas uh, in a way that are, that are beyond this world, quite, quite literally. And um, from time to time, I think it's important as Christians, and, and I'm again, making the grand assumption that many of you are Christians, but not all of, not all of you are. Uh, but as Christians from time to time, it is helpful for us to be much more grandiose uh, than the billionaires of our world. Uh, because what I think, you know, Elon, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all of those billionaire boys that have lots of toys are really trying to do um, is what the Bible calls shalom. If you've been around the Bible, um, particularly the Old Testament, the idea of shalom um, was God's idea. And when I say shalom, I want you to think of um, the world as it was always intended to be. I want you to think of wholeness, uh, flourishing, thriving, connectivity, you know, all those things that, that billionaires are after, right? Things that are cosmic in nature. Because uh, what, I, what I think Jesus does here in this seventh beatitude is he implants seeds of God's grandiose vision for the world by using the language of peace. And um, God's mission, if I could summarize it, you know, what is God doing? Like, just real simple. Like, that's what a mission is. Like, what is God doing? Here's, here's how I would summarize what God is doing. He's restoring shalom to the entire cosmos. He's making everything wrong right. 
He's making all things new. He's and and beginning with the human race, but in the animal kingdom, in the physical cosmos, in the in the galaxies in which we we don't even know about. God is cosmically bringing shalom and order to to everything. And the wild thing about this seventh beatitude is Jesus is saying he wants to do it with you. Now, that's the jarring component of this. Uh, I I could say it like this. Um, Could God do it without you? You better believe it. But, But will he? No. See, what I think is unique about the God of the Bible is that though God can restore shalom everywhere without you, he simply won't. And what I think Jesus is introducing, and maybe this is new material to some of you, it's it's relatively new to me, is that the invitation for those who belong to him and his kingdom is to be a part of that. And I don't know where everyone's at on this, um, but I do know this. Uh, your current existence is not sustainable. Your, your, your vision for your life is not big enough. Your mission for why you exist is not grandiose. And the God of the Bible is saying, look at, my, look at what I'm doing, and do you want to be a part of it? So here's what we're going to do. And, and I am using the language of shalom instead of peace uh, today. And I'll explain that here in a minute. So um, we're going to look at three things about this. We're going to look at the substance of shalom. Uh, We are going to look at the strategy of shalom. And then we're going to look at the source of it. So the substance, strategy, and uh, the source. Uh, First, the substance. Here's, Here's why I'm using shalom instead of peace. When I say peace, I think most of us think the absence of conflict. Right, so when like a nation is at peace, there's no war, there's an absence of conflict. But, but Jesus and the Bible are after so much more uh, because instead of talking about the absence of conflict, what Jesus is suggesting is that the, the, there's the presence of wholeness. So while the absence of conflict is certainly part of having peace and shalom, it's not the fullness of it. So the, the substance of shalom is this holistic, harmonious, existence. Uh, It's holistic in that it's after all parts of you and all parts of everything. And it's it's harmonious, right? So there's there's a relational component to it. Uh, Certainly among the humanity, God's creation, but also again, cosmic levels. So there's this this sense of soundness and wholeness to shalom. Uh, Let let me, uh, let me just read uh, a couple Bible verses to give you some vision of, of what the Bible talks about for, for shalom. I'm not going to give the references just for easy, easiness on your ears, but here's how the Bible describes what shalom is. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Like, that's harmony among the animal kingdom, Right? The wolf is hanging out with the lamb. Or it would say this, the wilderness and the desert will be glad. It will blossom profusely. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. 
shalom. This is shalom. When the created order is fully life-giving, it's whole. Or in Isaiah, it says, they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, there will be no more violence or need for violence. Or the New Testament will say things like this, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That God is building a family. He's building a household. Or the Apostle Paul says, Have been, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. That temple language is hugely significant. You know, what, what God is doing through Christ and in you is he's restoring Eden, the place where God dwells. The temple's being rebuilt. Right? And, and the, the pieces, the blocks of the building are his people. This is shalom. This is what, this is what Jesus is after. And here's, here's, you know, as the Bible depicts what wholeness and connection looks for, here's, here's the repetitious theme that I'm going to kind of try to bring up through, through all the points this morning, is that shalom happens when the causes for the strife are healed. In other words, what, what God doesn't do is band-aid the problem, right? He doesn't, he doesn't do a temporary fix. He goes to the reason why things are hostile and divided and broken. So the shalom happens when, when the causes of the strife are fixed. So that's the, that's the substance of it. But let me, let me spend a little more time talking about uh, the s- strategy of it. And um, strategy is kind of a strange word, um, but I needed that third S, so I, I used it. Uh, another word could be just God's design, right? Like, what is, what is the design uh, for shalom? How, how does he do it? Um, I, I said it again. Let me just repeat it here, is that God can do it without us, but he won't. That, you know, God is more than willing um, to use any and all of his people that want to be part of this. And that's the design. That's the strategy uh, behind it. So um, we, we are a church. If you're new to our church, this might be new information to you. But we're a church that has a high value of church membership. We think, it, it, we think it's a biblical idea. We think it's a great way to spur uh, growth and connectivity in your, in your life. And in fact, free commercial here, we're doing a little Q&A after church. If you want to find out more about what it means to be a member of Mosaic, we're going to hang out back there, uh, me and some of the elders. And anyway, that's, that's free commercial. Um, but when you become a member of our church, we haven't had members in a little while, but when you become a member of our church, one of the things we do is we, we bring the new members up front and they take vows. They take uh, you know, public uh, commitments before God and before his people of things that they will commit to do as members of our church. And the fifth uh, and final vow has this kind of strange, at least for you know, modern vernacular language, this strange vow, and it says this, uh, do you promise to study the peace and purity of the church? Now, that's, that's a little bit of archaic language um, because when, when we say study, uh, we don't mean like 
learn information about it. Uh, we're using the word study. Uh, it could be, you know, a synonym could be embody. Do you, do you promise that you will embody the purity and the peace of the church? And, uh, you know, when you make that public commitment, you're, you're saying so much more than you'll play nice, right? Like, that, I feel like that could be a low-level interpretation of that vow, right? Like, I'll, I'll be a nice church person. It's so much more than that. What, what we think um, that God is doing is that he is, you know, God is a family who's made a family. And the family on earth is the local church. And so this little strange creature of God's that we call the local church is the microcosm of what God is doing macroly, if that's a word. Like this is the, the small kind of case study of what he's doing cosmically. So when we take that vow to embody purity and peace, what we're saying is, you know, we think this is the, this is the petri dish of the kingdom. And when people embody shalom, when they become full of wholeness in themselves and in this family, it will have ripple effects in the world. So, you know, what we're doing here is incredibly significant. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back around to this, but this is so much more than filling up a couple hours of space in your Sunday. You have much better things to do on a Sunday than that. Um, and so what, what I think Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you're to be an embodiment of this shalom. I mean, did you, did you catch the language? I mean, I feel like I've done this with every beatitude, but I did it with this one again. He doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He, did, he doesn't say, blessed are the peace lovers. He, did, he didn't even say, blessed are the peace seekers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I just thought, hmm. Because I, I've always kind of thought that was just like, hey, Jesus wants us to keep the peace. Right? Like, play nice. Get along. Resolve conflict. That, that's all part of peacemaking, but it's, it's so much more than that. What, what I think Jesus is saying is you must embody shalom. You must be shalom itself in the world. And um, let's not be, you know, naive in thinking that there's not another one in this world uh, namely identified as the enemy of God who is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy Shalom. Right? Th there's one that Ephesians 6 says that, that uh, you know, our, our war is, is not against the flesh and blood, but uh, against the powers and the principalities and the, the spirit of this air. And we believe that there is a, there is a very real spiritual component of warfare in which there is a divisive thread, you know, that is, that is in this world. And it would be foolish of us to not think, you know, the schemes of the devil are just ramped up right now, right? Like if, if there were ever a time that the world needed peacemakers, oh, would it be now? If there were ever a time that the world needed people who embody shalom, peace, 
wholeness would it be now? And here's this, the strange thing about us Christians. <laughs> the strange thing about us Christians is, is we despise the very people we want to win to love. Right? What a strange strategy. Like, let's despise the people that don't think like us, that don't vote like us, that don't behave like us, that don't look like us. Like, that's a strange strategy to me. And, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the toxicity of the current moment that we're in, I don't need to spend much time, you know, unpacking that for you. You've all been breathing that air for a while now. But, like, to despise the very people we want to win over to love seems like an indirect strategy that I don't think Jesus is interested in. Because here's, here's my, my big, this is my big take on what I think it means to be a peacemaker. Uh, you know, and I could be wrong on this, and it might not be the fullness of it, but I think when Jesus says, you're blessed when you make peace, I think what he's saying is you're to be uh, good news people. You're to be, you know, sharers of the shalom. And, you know, if you want Christian terminology to put on that, I think peacemaking is evangelism, right? We get our word evangelism from euangelion, which is a Greek word that means good news. We're to be people that go out into the world and good news everyone. Um, and too many of us, I think speculation, have confused the good news with good advice. Like we all feel so compelled to have a position right now, right? The polarization of the culture is ridiculous right now. And for the follower of Jesus, here's like, let this wash over you. You don't have to have a position on everything. Like can we, I mean, you don't, like, Nobody knows everything. I know some of you think you know everything. Nobody knows everything that's going on, okay? Like, I just, I want that to be good news to you today, too. Like, we don't have to have it all figured out. But here's what I do think Jesus is asking us to do, is to be people that are good news people, that are gospel-sharing people. And this isn't, like, tract handing out. This isn't, like, presentations that, you know, provoke a response. Like, that could be part of it. But here's, here's, by and large, what I think God's strategy for restoring shalom in the world is. For you to go into all the circles in which you dwell and to be a presence of shalom and wholeness. So in your family life, to be a peacemaker. In your work life, like not feeling the need, the incessant need to have critique and cynicism on everything that's going on at the water cooler. Like, it's okay to not know it all or to not have a side. Because I think, you know, shalom people are what the Bible calls ambassadors. And here's what ambassadors do. They represent the king when he can't be there. And so, you know, I want this to translate incredibly tangible to your life. Um, are you a whole like a whole shalom peace presence that represents the king well. Because again, strange as it is, this is Jesus' strategy. You know, we read it in the call to worship. It's better for me to go 
so that the helper would come and he will dwell inside of you and that's how the world will know me. You know, Jesus, he has ambassadors everywhere. You know, it's like, it's the great, you know, next level marketing scheme that Jesus thought up from the beginning. Like, this is how it will work, right? Recruit, you know, get people in with me and then go into the world. So are you, are you being someone um, who's full of shalom? And it, it's okay if you're not, because I'm going to lead you to the place where it is. But like, I just, I just want that to sit with you for a minute. Do you see God's strategy for you? That's his strategy for the world. This is how he'll restore the world to peace through his people. Well, then let's talk lastly about the source of um, shalom. Uh, there's a there's a statement that gets thrown around a lot in like kind of business organizational world. It's by a guy named Peter Drucker. I'm sure some of you have read his books. Um, he says uh, he's talking about the importance of culture in an organization, uh, and he says you know culture eats strategy for breakfast, and so that's kind of how I wanna I wanna go into the third point. It's like God's strategy is incredible, and I'm, I'm not saying that we're going to eat it for breakfast, but what I am saying is here's the thing that will get you in on that strategy because can, we can talk strategy all day long. I can tell you all the ways you should be a shalom maker in the world, but you will never embody that unless you come to the actual source of shalom. You have to have the culture of belonging. And Jesus does that um, in only ways Jesus can do that when he says on the back end of this beatitude, you'll be called sons of God. Now, you have to know, you know, you know, your footnote might say, well, that can mean sons and daughters. And it can, but I think that's a bit of a cultural sensitivity to us modern 21st American readers. Like, you know, we're not patriarchal, but like it, it means sons. And here's why. In the, in the moment that this was written, in the moment that the, Jesus was saying these words, uh, it meant everything to be a son. Um, sons were the inheritors of the kingdom. Like all the wealth goes to the, to the sons. Da- daughters didn't get any of that. And so for, for Jesus to say, you'll be called a son of God, it's the highest of all titles. It's the, it's the cream of the crop. Like it's, it doesn't get any better than that, to be called a child of the living God, to be called a son of the king. And um, that's, you know, Jesus frequently was, was telling his people, listen, I'm building a family and you can be a part of it. And the only way you can come into this family is through me. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. And the good news of Christianity, and I just want to be real clear with this for everyone, is that you can belong to God's family. And when you belong to God's family, the process of shalom begins. You're invited into a life of peace, the peace that Jesus suggested in chapter 14 of John he says, I will give you my peace, my peace I leave with you. So many of us, um, I mean, I, you know, it's the meat and potatoes of the gospel. It's, it's the Christian life. I'm convinced every time I come up here over and over and over again, the main thing that I'm to be doing is to reminding you of how deeply loved you are in God. 
because we so quickly forget it. See, what, what God is doing um, is he's building a family on earth through his son. And anyone, anyone who has the heart that feels orphaned, it feels lost in this world, feels like there's no allies, feels like there's no purpose, there's, there's nothing here that's sustaining your life. Jesus is saying, come to the waters and drink. I want to I close with this uh, this morning. It's kind of my practice, my rhythm, at least it has been this fall. Before, before coming to church on Sunday, I'll go over to uh, Poblano's open space and I'll just walk a lap and I'll pray and go over the sermon. And I sit on a bench um, and I, and I watch, you know, right now there's all the migratory birds that are coming in, got like the sandhill cranes and all the geese are squawking at each other and all the things. And it's just this kind of serenity moment, you know, before we come into Sunday. And it's been a real beautiful time. But this morning, it was, it was more heavy traffic than normal. Just a lot more people, you know, walking the dogs, a couple kids with the jogging stroller thing going on. And it was just, it was just a lot of traffic. And for a moment, I kind of just thought, how easy would it be um, just to go for a Sunday morning walk, right? And go home and, you know, fry a couple eggs and kick on some football and just kind of coast, right? Like what an easy thing, what a temptation, right? To not do what we're doing right now. And I just got to thinking like, what's the whole point? Like it, you know, what, what are we doing? And here's, here's the thing. Here's the whole point. Like, if you're going to get anything about what God is doing in the local church, you've got to get the main point. And the main point is that God b- is building shalom on earth. And that the, you know, the micro, the micro points, and they're all over our city, and they're all over the globe, where that is happening is what we call the local church. This is where shalom is practiced. This is where shalom is embodied. This is where shalom is shared together. And so I, I guess the way I kind of wanted to end it was, was one of two ways. One, I, uh, I want you to keep coming to church. So like as, as grand as I made your Sunday morning just sound, um, I think what happens here um, is actually really cosmic in nature. And um, I, I want you to know um, that God, he wants to collaborate with you. And I'm not talking you collectively. Like I am talking you individually. That, that God in his immense um, cosmic, global type of ways has uniquely created you to embody and share shalom in the world, wherever you are. And, you know, the area I want to focus on right now is this little thing that we call mosaic. We are in what what many have called a liminal season of life, uh, which is to say a season of transition. And we haven't haven't ran the numbers or anything, but like a a large component of, of those of you that are here today have come into this life of mosaic during this liminal period, right? There's just, it's been a transition for various reasons for why you found yourself here. And 
here's what I want you to be peculiar, peculiar and curious about. Why did God bring you here? Right? Like so many of you like heard us in the Bosque, right? And now you're here. Others of you have been driving by our signs for years and now you're here. Others of you have been invited by friends and family and now you're here. And so the thing, and I'm not going to attempt to answer it though for you, is, is why are you here? And, and I, I don't think it's by accident. I do think it's by design. And I, and I guess, you know, I don't really know how to land this plane uh, when I don't have all the answers for you. But, but, but I guess, you know, the thing I, I, I really want to just let it sit with you is that you were brought here with purpose. And I believe that God is doing something unique. He's doing unique things in all kinds of churches. Like, again, he's not just worried about us. But I, I believe in the bone of my bones that God's up to something here. And I'm just curious what part of that you're supposed to be. Because God's mission at Mosaic and in the whole entire cosmos is to restore and renew shalom. And I wonder how you'll be a part of that. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, man, we, Lord, we are really small in the grand scheme of things, so that keeps us really humble. But Lord, I, I know uh, that you love using small, weak, powerless people to do really grand things through. So Lord, I'll be, the, I'll be the chief confessor here today, Lord, that I'm weak. I am prone to just coast in life. Lord, you know me better than anyone, and you know I would just love to just rather just go to my kids' events or watch sports or read books. But Lord, I, I believe that you're calling all of us into something deeper and bigger and really profound, and we want to we know what that is. So we pray as we enter, uh, well, as we exit out of the Beatitudes and we enter into the season of Advent where we anticipate your coming, that you might make that clear. Uh, there's, there's new people here today, Lord, and I'm convinced they're not here on accident. So, Lord, we just, we ask for your, your guidance. We pray that you, Holy Spirit, uh, would help us uh, to be the people you want us to be in the world that you have made. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 